If you're listening to the history of Vikings, you're doing so via the internet. Today's episode is sponsored by Atlas VPN, a company created to make the internet accessible and secure for everyone. From blocking malicious links, ads, and trackers, notifying you when someone is trying to steal your data, to protecting your devices and allowing you to access worldwide content on platforms such as Netflix while traveling abroad, Atlas VPN has got you covered. There are over 6 million people using Atlas VPN across the world, and you could be one of them by following the link in the description of this episode, which gets you Atlas VPN for just $1.99 a month for three years, plus a 30-day money-back guarantee. You're using the internet to listen to what I hope is your favorite history podcast. Atlas VPN was created to make the internet accessible and secure for everyone. Follow the link in this episode's description to get Atlas VPN for just $1.99 a month for three years, plus a 30-day money-back guarantee. Many thanks to Atlas VPN for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to the history of Vikings. Harold Hardrada is often considered the last great Viking. As king of Norway, his rule was defined by ambition and military prowess, traits he bore throughout his early life. He ruled Norway for 19 years and invaded England in 1066. During this invasion, Harold would fight in one of the most famous battles in medieval history. It was this battle that determined the fate of his life and the throne of England. Well, Harold Hardrada is certainly an illustrious figure in Viking history, one that is familiar to many listeners tuning in today. You might recall his adventures to Byzantium, really kind of portraying how interconnected the world was during the Viking Age, at least to the Vikings whose maritime technology and navigation allowed them to see so much of the world. Joining me to discuss today's topic is author and historian Don Hallway. Don's writing on history, aviation, and reenacting has appeared in magazines ranging from Aviation History, History Magazine, Military Heritage, Wild West, and World War II. He's the author of a book called The Last Viking, The True Story of King Harold Hardrada, published by Osprey last year in 2021. Well, Don Hallway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Today's topic is one that's very exciting to listeners, and I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced a lot of public interest in your own book. I, it looks wonderful. It's you've heavily praised, um, very popular, so I'm so glad we could get you on the podcast. 
Harold is often considered the last Viking. Indeed, this is the title of your book about his dramatic and adventurous life. But why was Harold the last Viking? And what do you mean by this title? Well, Harold Hadrada is often called the last Viking uh, because the Viking Age is generally taken to have ended on his, uh, with his death in uh, September of 1066. Uh, the great age of, you know, the Viking Age, what we think of as the Viking Age of exploration and conquest, had actually kind of wound down the years before. It had already gone on for a couple of hundred years. Uh, it pretty much peaked, in my opinion, with the North Sea Empire of Knut the Great when he united England, Norway, and Denmark uh, into one empire, a North Sea Empire. But it really, it really fell, it lasted only for a few years of his life. Uh, fell apart with his death, which uh, I think was in 1035. Uh, the three countries kind of went their own way. And actually, they fell to fighting among themselves. Uh, Norway and Denmark fought like a 15-year war among themselves. And uh, it, it just the, the Viking Age was coming to a close. Uh, so Harold Hadrada, who was the king of Norway at that time, had fought Denmark to a draw without achieving anything. And uh, when the opportunity arose to uh, try to conquer England, the other third of the North Sea Empire, he jumped on the chance. Harold was slain in 1066 at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Let's explore Harold's life by beginning with the end. What was the Battle of Stamford Bridge for listeners unfamiliar? And who were the key players? I also understand its anniversary is coming up on September 25th. It is coming up uh, right just a few weeks away. In September of 1066, as I say, uh, the Norwegians uh, invaded northern England. Uh, 1066 was, of course, a momentous year in English history. Uh, King Edward the Confessor died around Christmas or New Year's of 1065, and the throne passed to his right-hand man, uh, the Earl Harold Godwinson, who uh, took the crown and proclaimed himself king. But across the English Channel, Duke William, Duke William of Normandy, who was a cousin of Edward's, uh, insisted that Edward had uh, promised the throne to him. And he was determined to invade across the uh, English Channel and invade the southern part of England to take the throne back. So Harold Godwinson basically put the English army together and stood guard, stood watch over the southern coast of England all that summer, waiting for the Normans uh, to, uh, to come at and attack. Uh, the Normans were actually descendants of Vikings, but they had sort of lost their seafaring skills and the weather, weather, the wind was against them. So they never did actually invade while Harold Godwinson was in the south. In the meantime, uh, the Vikings had decided, well, they'll use this distraction and attack in the north. They actually landed up in the Orkneys and Scotland and worked their way down the coast with the ultimate uh, goal of capturing the city of York, which is one of England's northernmost major cities. And they did that. There was a battle at uh, Fulford uh, where they defeated the armies of Mercia and Northumbria, and the city of York did surrender. Uh, the Vikings then, to lock everything down, uh, demanded a hostage, a hostage exchange at Stamford Bridge, which was a little bit to the east of York, uh, where a bunch of roads converged over the, uh, over the River Derwent. So they thought they could get everybody from the countryside to bring in their hostages. And by taking hostages, they would, you know, maintain their control of the area. They were so confident their victory at Fulford was so complete 
that they decided to leave uh, a third of their men to guard their ships. And the rest of them, it was September, it was hot. They decided to leave their armor behind. They weren't expecting a fight. They were just expecting a hostage exchange. And instead, they were met by Harold Godwinson, the King of England, who had had marched his army about 250 miles in uh, you know less than a week, three, four or five days, something like that. It's one of the great achievements in medieval military history. He took the Viking force, Harold Hadrada's army, completely by surprise. Uh, they managed to hold the bridge, uh, keep the English on one side of the bridge uh, for a little while. It was uh, sort of passed into legend that there was one Viking with a battle axe who was said to have held the bridge alone by himself and killed 40 Englishmen before he was stabbed by an Englishman who went under the bridge and stabbed him with a spear up through the gap of the planks. Uh, but then once the English got across, they had the they had the Vikings totally outnumbered, surrounded them, and basically wiped them out to a last man, including Harold Hadrada. Um, that's kind of a spoiler alert for the book. Everybody dies in the book. <laughs> but uh, the the English the English victory was so complete that um, they their invasion force needed three hundred ships to bring them over from Norway, but only two dozen to take the survivors home. That's how many were killed. That's fascinating. I'm I'm curious, Don, where do we get the idea of Harold Hardrada from and what are the key sources for his life? Well, I first read about him when I was a boy uh, and it was just it was a book on Vikings and they only devoted a few paragraphs to him. But it was like, you know, wow, what a what a life this guy led. Uh, He's he's mentioned in the English, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles. Uh, He's mentioned in Byzantine accounts. But the bulk of his story comes from Viking sagas. Uh, much of it was passed down by him and his men. He was a he was a big fan of uh, what they called skalds, the uh, Viking chroniclers or poets who you know wrote down the story of the kings. And it was actually the story were passed down to Snorri Sturluson, a famous 12th century uh, Icelandic historian. He was actually a descendant of one of Harold's lieutenants. And uh, collected all the stories and put it down uh, in King, what's called King Harold's King Harold's Saga. Uh, but he was a very he was writing about a lot of kings, so he did not uh, he did not waste a lot of time describing things. He was very much a bare bones kind of writer. What I tried to do with the Last Viking was uh, combine his stories with the English and the Greek accounts. And then add in what I knew of medieval life, you know, the weapons, the food, the social functions, and uh, try to bring the reader into the story and put the reader there with Harold as he's doing the things that were documented. Excellent. That's excellent. Now, I understand Harold's first major military event, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Battle of Stiklestad in 1030 when he was just 15. Tell us about the Battle of Stiklestad and Harold's role in it. That's really where he makes his uh, his first appearance in history. As you say, he was only 15 years old. His older half-brother, King Olaf, uh, was about 30 at that time. And uh, he had united uh, Norway before they came along was a bunch of little petty kingdoms. And Olaf had managed to unite them into one country. But he was such a tyrant that the people who once they were united rose up and threw him out, drove him into exile. Uh, In the year 1030, he returned with an army to uh, retake the crown of Norway. And of course, young Harold joined his army. Uh, So they marched from Sweden over the mountains into Norway. 
uh, at Stiklestad, which is way up at the end of one of the uh, fjords in Norway. Uh, they came down out of the mountains and they found out that uh, the people of Norway were still much, pretty much united against Olaf. They, the um, Olaf's army was un- basically outnumbered about four to one, uh, but that they didn't let that stop them. The battle commenced. The battle is really memorable because it was partly fought under a, a near total eclipse of the sun. So about halfway through the battle, it turned into a night fight. And of course, you've got pagans and Christians, and they're both looking up at the sun going out and thinking, you know, both of them thinking that this is a religious sign. Uh, You know, the last time the Christians knew of uh, the sky going dark was when Christ was crucified. And of course, the the pagans would have looked at that as, you know, one-eyed Odin looking uh, looking down on the battle. So they would have all taken that as an omen. But it really went against Olaf. Uh, Olaf was killed, and Harold was barely wound, badly wounded, and barely got off the uh, battlefield with his life. He had a friend there who basically carried him off the battlefield, and they went into hiding. Yeah. Now, after Stiklestad, where did Harold's life take him next? Well, he had to get out of Norway. He was basically an outlaw at that point. His uh, father was dead. His brother was dead. His mother would die that year. Uh, so he had to get out of the country. He and his uh, friends went over the mountains again, back to Sweden. And then from there, they crossed the Baltic and uh, went over to Kievan Rus, which is modern Russia. Uh, the king of that land, Grand Prince Yaroslav, was uh, Harold and Olaf's distant kinsman by marriage. So Harold went there basically just to seek safety. But then that's where his, uh, that's where his rise really began. What do we know about Harold's time in what is today modern Russia? Well, he, uh, Yaroslav, of course, took him in being a kinsman, and uh, he joined the uh, Yaroslav's bodyguard and pretty rapidly rose through the ranks. Uh, he was still just a teenager at this point, but in those times, uh, you know, people who were seen to have royal blood, you didn't necessarily have to be the best warrior on the battlefield. You just had to be, uh, you know, the personification of what the best warriors wanted to fight for. So Harold immediately became, uh, you know, a commander in the uh, in the ranks of the bodyguard. The Kievans were fighting the Poles to the uh, west and the Pechenegs, a tribe of uh, steppe nomads, sort of like the Mongols. You could think of them like that. Uh, they were off to the east. The uh, Kievans were pretty much in between them and fighting both of them. So Harold found plenty of combat that, uh, you know, he could, he could show off his prowess and again, rose pretty rapidly through the ranks. And of course, being of royal blood and a kinsman of Yaroslav, he has sort of aspired to marry Yaroslav's daughter, Princess Elizaveta. But since he, uh, Harold had no land to speak of at this point, he was, he was, you know, making money by looting and everything, but he really was sort of propertyless at this point. Yaroslav said, well, you know, I think you're going to make something of yourself, but you haven't done that yet, so I can't give you my daughter's hand. At this point, Harold was in his uh, mid mid to late teens, and Elizaveta was probably only about 10 or 11, uh, but girls, girls got married at, at a very young age at that point, and they wouldn't have necessarily been married at that point. They would have been betrothed. Uh, she would have been promised to Harold. They probably would have been married in a few years. But anyway... Yaroslav said, 
that's not going to happen right now. You need to go make something of yourself to be worth my daughter. Yeah. And that flows nicely into my next question was, which was how did Harold come into the service of the Byzantine empire? What was his role there? And, and what can the sources tell us about that? Well, as I say, Harold needed to make a fortune to uh, be worthy of a match to Elizaveta. And the way to do that was to go down to Constantinople, uh, which was almost due south of Kiev, but it was a long trip. Uh, Constantinople was then the capital of the Byzantine empire, which was uh, basically the eastern half of the old Roman empire that had split up around 410 AD. And uh, the the West sort of fell into ruin, but the East persevered. It was it was sort of like more. They spoke Greek. They didn't speak Latin, so it was uh, really sort of ancient Greece recreated with maybe like Roman bureaucracy, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, anyway, it was the most powerful city and a wealthy city in Europe at that time. And Harold decided if there was anywhere to make some money, this was the place to do it. So he went down and uh, planning to sign up as a mercenary in the army and enlisted in what was called the Varangian Guard uh, in Constantinople. Very interesting. Very interesting. And and for those unfamiliar, what was this Varangian Guard? What was its mission? Well, they were an all Viking military unit. There were so many Vikings coming down from the north uh, looking to fight for money that the uh, Byzantine emperors decided to hire them on. Uh, rather than fight them. Uh, the Vikings, as they were fighting for money, were actually considered more trustworthy than some of the Greek soldiers who would, who, you know, might fight for another noble and, you know, try to take over the, try take over the government or even kill the emperor. The emperors figured we have these Vikings, they're dependent on us for their living. They make their money from what we pay them. So they're more, they're more trustworthy. Uh, there were really, Two different two different sides to the Varangians. There were the vast majority of them actually fought as an elite combat unit with the army, wherever the army happened to be fighting at the time. But there was also an elite regiment uh, that served as the emperor's personal bodyguard in Constantinople. Harold joined the field units, and in that capacity, he fought all over the medieval world. At that time, he fought in the Aegean against the uh, Muslim pirates. He fought in Anatolia, now which is now Turkey. He fought in Sicily and uh, even in Italy. Uh, most of his fighting was done against uh, the Muslim uh, caliphate across, you know, across the Mediterranean and Africa, the Fatimid caliphate. Uh, but some of it was also done against uh, rebel rebel troops in Bulgaria and Italy. Uh, eventually, he was promoted into the ranks of the uh, imperial bodyguard. He was pretty good at what he did. And uh, if the Scandinavian accounts are to believe, he became a uh, favorite of Empress Zoe, who was uh, uh, she was the one who was actually uh, she was part of the Macedonian dynasty. Uh, It was her blood. She was of the royal family. She was older than Harold and, you know, pretty treacherous. She was said to have killed two of her husbands. But uh, Harold, uh, Harold came kind of became her protector. It was a kind of an uproarious time politically in the emperor in the um, in the capital. There were some coups going on, and he, sir, as her bodyguard, sort of you know protected her through all this. And the, if the Viking accounts are to believe to be believed, they became lovers. Uh, eventually, though, the affair kind of went sour, and and uh, Zoe ended up 
pretty much hating him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he barely got out of uh, Constantinople with his life and had to go back north. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now, following an adventurous and lucrative career in Byzantium, Harold did return to Norway. What drew him back? Well, he still wanted to, uh, he had never really given up on the idea of becoming a king. I mean, he was a prince. He was a half-brother of King Olaf and wanted to rule Norway as king. I think uh, ultimately he wanted to recreate uh, King Canute's North Sea Empire of England and Denmark and Norway, but he had to start somewhere. He journeyed back to Kiev. By this time, he was filthy rich. He was a uh, he was not only a great looter, the uh, Byzantines accused him of being an embezzler as well. So he was said to be the richest man in the North at this point. Uh, nobody had ever seen as much money as he had. Uh, he took this back to Kiev and Yaroslav said, well, I, you know, I sent you south to make something of yourself and you have certainly done that. Here's my daughter. So they were, they were married and uh, Harold took Elizaveta back to Norway with him as his queen. Now, by the time he got back there, Norway had undergone a couple of power shifts and Olaf's son, Magnus, had, uh, had taken over and was ruling as king. Now, he was he was old or younger than Harold. Harold was in his 30s at this point, and Magnus was uh, about 20, late teens or, or 20, something like that. Uh, so his uncle Harold shows up and basically gives him an ultimatum, said, uh, "You, uh, I've come back to have a piece of Norway here. You can either fight me for it or I'll give you half my gold and buy it from you. And uh, Magnus thought it over and decided it would be easier to have Harold on his side rather than fighting for him. So they actually agreed to uh, become co-kings for several years. What do we know about Harold's reign as king of Norway? Are there any certain things that stood out, any particular um, achievements or things that he did as king of Norway that are notable? Well, as I say, they started out as co-kings, Harold and Magnus. Uh, that only lasted a few years. Magnus actually died young. Uh, when I, one of the great revelations I had was how many people just, you know, died young of various diseases. And Magnus was one of them. He only lasted a couple of years as, as Harold's co-king. So at that point, uh, Harold took over Norway. The problem was that Magnus had told um, what he regarded as Earl Svein, the ruler of, uh, he regarded Svein of Denmark as his Earl, but Svein wanted to be the king of Denmark. And that's what they had been fighting over, Norway and Denmark. Magnus decided on his death, he was just going to let it go and let Svein become king of Denmark. This was not so agreeable to Harold. And Harold maintained the war with Denmark and kept fighting with Svein off and on, uh, basically for like the next 15 or so years. Every, every winter, Harold would go back home, but every summer he would come down and raid Denmark and Svein would pull out and go hide in Sweden or something. Then in the fall, Harold would go back north to Norway and Svein would move back into Denmark. This just happened year after year after year. But they did have some uh, pretty, pretty outstanding battles. One of, the, one of the biggest Viking sea battles at the uh, mouth of the river Nisa was fought between Svein of Denmark and Harold of Norway. Uh, I did. I go into some detail on that in the book. That's one of the great sea battles of all time, and in, in Viking in the Viking period, as Harold pretty much failed at uniting Norway and Denmark. They never did. They fought to a draw, and they never did get that resolved. And I think you see Harold's personality changing, maybe out of frustration, maybe out of greed, 
Uh, he becomes more and more of a tyrant as time goes by. Uh, and what you think of as a, the prototypical Viking ruler, his nickname was Hard Ruler, but nobody ever called him that to his face. He was uh, uh, he was literally quite a hard ruler over Norway. Well, Don, this has been uh, a fantastic interview. I'm so glad we could get you on the podcast. As I say, I've been um, I mentioned this before we uh hit record. I've been an admirer of yours for some time, and obviously I'm a great fan of your book, The Last Viking. Now, before we sort of sign off today, where's the best place for listeners to go to, first of all, purchase a copy of the book? I'll include a link to that in the description of this episode, and um, keep up with your work. Uh, well, to, uh, the book is, of course, it's on Amazon. You can find it there. If you go to my website, there are links in both uh, the U.S. and U.K., to buy the book, the uh, book's website is uh, lastvikingbook.com, lastvikingbook.com, or the lastviking.co. The lastviking.com was taken, so it's lastviking.co. Uh, but you can also go to my website to find uh, a link to that book, my next book, which is also out uh, at the gates of Rome, and plus uh, all my uh, large selection of articles that I've written over the years. If you go to the uh, thelastvikingbook.com, there are free sample chapters there. I have a little video that goes into more detail about Harold's life, and you can check it out before. And then, of course, there are links to buy. Must be a dozen links to buy from various uh, sellers there. Excellent. Well, Don, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a positive rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. Come back right here for another episode.